Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So I just want to welcome everyone here, wherever you're joining us tonight. Uh, so glad that you can join us. I want to just give a special shout out to our West fam. You know, I love our breakout rooms before the service. It, it's so good to just see all your beautiful faces. You make me look more beautiful as well. Uh, but it's so glad that you can come together each week. And can I encourage any of us, wherever we're at, whatever location we're at, let's get along to a breakout room. Let's get along to the morning prayer. It's not just a program. It's actually an opportunity for us to just be encouraged by one another, just to see one another and where we're at. And so we're going to get straight into the Word. But before I do, I just love to pray uh, for each and every one of us. Lord, right now, I just pray, God, that it won't be me communicating, Father, but it will be You through me, Father. Lord, I pray that on the other end of my voice, Lord, that each and every one of us will have an open heart and an open mind that we will not be thinking about what's coming up this week or who's this word for or, or how good does this person preach, but they'll be like, God, speak to me. What is one thing that I can take in this season, Lord, that will draw me closer to You and to fulfil my calling and my purpose? Bless this word in Jesus' Name. Amen and Amen. And so last week we kicked off Sharing Jesus Confidently series and Pastor Cherie preached a phenomenal word, the simplicity, the beauty of the Gospel. And what I love about Pastor Cherie is just, she's the real deal. You could just feel the authenticity in her experience, even from her testimony as a child, that what she preaches is what she lives. And one of the things that really stood out to me uh, as we continue in that series today, you know, is the simplicity of the Gospel. The good news is still good. Newsflash, pandemic or not, the good news is still good. Jesus dying for you on the cross is the best thing that's ever happened in humanity and no pandemic will take that away. Then the next thing that really stood out to me was for us, that gift of salvation, for us not to neglect the gift. That fire within, you know, we need to be intentional at intending to it and stoking to it. But the thing that I wanna lead off today is something that Pastor Cherie said that really stood out to me. And that's if we want something to change, we need to change. Because see what happens is that we, we have that encounter with God, we have that first love, that joy, that, that passion. But as time goes on, rather than focusing on who God says we are, we start focusing on what we think we're not. And the reality is that what you do does not define who you are, but who you are and whose you are defines what you do. Let me explain that. What can happen is that we can come into a paralysis of analysis when we start thinking, well, I'm not a preacher. Um, I'm not eloquent. Um, I can't get up to the steps of Flinders Street and just start preaching there. That's not me. So therefore, I'm not called to evangelise. Therefore, I'll just stay here and limit my experience with God to a Sunday. But that's not what God's intention is for us. See, I had a conversation about this uh, in that day. Remember the time we could actually meet in person? I, I, I'm starting to forget what that was like, jokes. But you know, I do remember having a chat with someone and they said to me, well, Pastor Dave, I don't enjoy talking to someone when we have to say hi to someone because that's not my personality. And my heart broke. And the reason why my heart broke is because I don't look at it from a personality point of view. I look at it as a divine opportunity. Yeah, that in that moment, God deemed that that person was the right person to say hello to that one that walked wow. in. But we miss the opportunity because we disqualify ourselves because for some reason we stop, stop tending to the fire and stoking the fire. Yeah. Let me encourage you one thing about evangelism and the heart of God. 
First of all, you, me, we are the answer to someone's prayer. At some point in our lives, someone prayed for our salvation. And at some point, that prayer was answered because you and I now get to call Jesus as our Lord and Saviour for those that have accepted. But the next point is equally as true that in your sphere of influence, when we come back to services, the people that sit to your left or to your right, in your workplace, in your household, in your family, you are the answer of prayer for someone, for that person. That God's been praying for their salvation. God's been praying for their life. And God's like, I know just the person that I've got for them. That's you. These are the divine appointments that if we're not careful, we can miss and overlook. Because what we do and what we don't do, it matters. Let me bring you in a little bit of an insight here. For us as preachers, we can often get way too much credit than what we deserve. See, when I ask the question at the end of this service, who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus? Someone's not just responding because of the way that I preach. See, that moment starts with you. That moment starts when you start sharing with people Jesus confidently. That starts when your testimony reflects the goodness of God in your circumstance and situation. That moment starts when you share what God has done in your life. Then it translates into the moment that people walk through these doors. When they meet the very first person in our incredible Usher team or, or our Connections teams, you know, then they start to actually see again the goodness of God in people. And at the end of it, through the worship, the culmination, when that question is asked, that moment on time has taken, in some cases, years, months, weeks to get to that moment. We all have a part to play in sharing Jesus confidently. And when we share Jesus confident, let's be as confident as God was when He sent His Son to die for you and for me. That He didn't see what we had done and use that as a measuring stick of what we could be. He willingly gave His Son to die for you and for me. Let us never forget that moment because that's where evangelism starts. You know, both within and without the church, for whatever reason, it's become this scary thing that in the church, it's a program. It's like the SAS uh, of the church. And without, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it's this place where we go to the steps of Flinders Street and start condemning everyone to hell. That's not evangelism, church. So when we think of evangelism, the gospel, it's, it's gossip. It's the good news of the Word of God. It's the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. And whenever I think of that word gossip, I, I can't help but go to where I'm from in El Salvador, you know. Uh, there's this tale that, you know, all the, all the ladies get around, they make the tortillas and up there they start talking about the gossip of the town. And whenever I think about the gospel, I think about, you know, the, the ladies making tortillas. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you what God did for me. That's what it basically is. Rather than talking bad about what's happening in our society, let's start talking about what He is doing in His church, through His church, in your life. See, Evangelism is not about us being lawyers and advocates trying to convince people or sway people's opinion. You know, I think of 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul saying, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. We're just the sowers and the waterers. God's the one that's gonna bring the harvest in that. But if we're not sowing, if we're not watering, what can we expect? And so, you know, the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, it paints the various pictures of the lengths that people would go to in order for Jesus to touch someone's life. For many, seeing Jesus, not seeing Jesus was not an option. And so they would do whatever it takes. And that's what I've titled my message today, whatever it takes. And you know, in preparation for my message tonight, you know, I just thought about, okay, I wanted to just do a bit of Google, uh, Googling, I'm getting old man, Google, I don't know what the term is. I wanted to just Google it about the lengths that people would go for someone that they cared about. And I came across the story of a father and son duo. Uh, father's name is Dick. Son's Rick Hoyt, their team Hoyt. Rick was born with cerebral palsy 
And basically his parents told him, this kid, unfortunately, because of his cognitive function, your best to just put him in an institution. But Dick believed along with his wife, no, no, there is something special about this boy. We will not give up on this boy. And so by 11, they set him up with a computer. By the age of 23, he graduated with a special education degree at Boston University. But it was during that moment, during that growing up where there was someone in Rick's school that became paralysed because of a lacrosse accident. And Rick asked his father if he would do him the honour of running with him because he wanted to show his friend that life was still worth living with a disability. You know, and as any good father would do, you know, he, they ran, uh, they did the first little run and it's like, I wanna actually get to a triathlon. I wanna do marathons. Uh, and so father would train every day with a bag of cement to a point where he ran 5Ks in 17 minutes. Man, that blows away. I, I ran 3K in 20 minutes and I thought here I was making the Olympics. This guy with a bag of cement runs 5Ks for his son, but they didn't just stop at one. 257 marathons later, they ran from the East Coast to the West Coast of America. You know, this is what teamwork at its finest was. Why do I share that story? Because see, humanity would go to great lengths to see someone hurting, someone caring, actually live a full quality of life. And we see that throughout, like people would go above and beyond for those in need. And I asked myself that question, what if us as the church had that same faith to see souls saved? to actually go to the level where someone is at and bring them alongside us so that not only they could live a full quality of life, but have a full eternity in the presence of God. See, Jesus encountered many people throughout the Gospels that were desperate to see their loved ones healed. And I wanna just touch upon one of those stories of what I believe are one of the OGs, the original uh, evangelists, if you would. And the story comes in Mark chapter 2, 1 to 12. And so the Scripture says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that He had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And He preached the Word to them. Some men came, bringing to Him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get Him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. And after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in His spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And He said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Everywhere Jesus went, He drew a crowd. Let me change the tense of that. Everywhere Jesus is, it draws a crowd. This moment was no exception. His reputation had preceded him. Even at home, you know, he's coming home to a bit of brisket, you know, and a bit of bread there. But you know what? Everyone came to his house knocking on the door. Jesus, we need you, Jesus. There was no room because word had gotten out that Jesus was in town. You know, what a beautiful picture that is if you think about that. Maybe not for those in the house, you know, that own the house. I know I'm not looking at anyone, but yet Pastor Sonia, uh, the OCD of having a clean house, uh, you know, that would have freaked them out. But what a picture it would have been to see that house full of people crying out the name of Jesus. What a picture it would be that 
out of this pandemic, when we could have services again, where, you know, to the very street, there are people lining up to get in to encounter the presence of Jesus. And so whilst for many in this context, you know, Jesus being in the flesh, they were there to see Him, but there were many that missed out because they could not access Jesus as they had no one to take them there. It was this moment where desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, verses three and four, we read about the friends. They came, they brought a paralytic man. Four of them carried this one man. And because they couldn't get into Jesus because of the crowd, they lowered the mat. These four friends, they saw this man that was paralysed. You know, and, and, and they could have just said, look, not my problem, sorry, man, we're not gonna be able to get you there, there's a crowd here. But they had faith, they knew that, look, we've gotta get him to Jesus because we know that Jesus can heal. We've heard the testimonies all around. We know that Jesus can heal. We just gotta get him there. This is a picture of covenant family, all of us working together. They decided that on their own, they couldn't do anything, but together they could do something. And so they pick up their friend, they're walking and they hit a roadblock, literally a roadblock, the crowd, this big group of people looking at them like, what on earth are you doing? It hit them and it put them in a crossroad because the reality is church, the crowd is scary. You know, we see a lot of faces, we don't know names, but we see the eyes looking at us and it can cause us to doubt, it can cause us to question. It can be very intimidating. In fact, it has stopped so many people throughout history. What will they think if I share? Maybe I'll just go into closet Christianity. I just won't say anything about myself. How was your weekend? It was good, I'll do everything. I'll say everything I've done, but that I've gone to church. It has just put people off for generations. And so here they were, these four friends, they're at this crossroad. But their mindset was they had come too far to turn away. We have come this far. We know that Jesus can heal. I am not gonna be put off by the crowd. So they thought laterally. See church, in a season like the one that we are now, to get what you've never had, you need to be willing to do something you've never done. And often what can happen is that we can say people's no's for them. And I love what Pastor Cherie shared last week in reflecting on our own testimony because I started thinking about in the years where I had backslidden. See, I grew up in church, but I made a decision to focus on the people in the church, not the God of the church. So I decided I wanted no part of the church. And I started engaging in behaviours that were complete opposite of a godly lifestyle. And I would always find people that I grew up with in church come up to me and say, you're gonna go to hell for what you're doing. And I'd be like, I'm doing great, man. My family's great. Thanks for asking. And you know, like, what do you say to that, right? It's like, oh, I'm good. Thanks. Can I just, on a side note, let's not be so intense with people. Let's be loving and tender. But for me, every time I would hear this, it didn't bring a desire for me to want to come back to church at all. It just put me off even more, you know? And so what happened was, I remember one day, I was invited to to a youth rally, um, you know, five years ago, because I'm only 21. No, okay, but anyway, I was invited to a youth rally and I just remember I went along for one reason because there was this beautiful girl who's now my wife, still as beautiful as she was back then. And so, you know what, I'm gonna go and just see Sonia and I'll get to know her and see what happens there, you know. But I remember going to this youth rally, hearing this incredible sermon. I don't even know what was preached. I wasn't interested because all I kept thinking is, well, I'm going to hell, what's the point, right? But I remember going out afterwards and uh, uh, the father of a friend of mine that had known me since I was a child, he remembered that growing up, I used to play the keys at church. And I used to be part of worship leading at church. And he just asked me the question, hey, you know, I know that you're going through a tough time in your life, but have you played keys anytime soon? And the reality is in three years, I hadn't played keys because for me, my motivation had been worship growing up. I had none of that motivation. I wasn't in high school anymore. So he said to me, he goes, this is gonna sound weird because I know how you feel about church, but our keyboard player has gone overseas for a few months. 
hey, it'd be awesome if you just came on a Sunday and just played keys for the worship set and then just headed off. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know, the church uh, was a lot smaller. So how awkward would it look like if I'm playing the keys for worship? And I'm like, all right, well, as Elvis left the building, so is Dave, see you later. That would have been awkward, right? So for me, it's like, look, I will definitely play it. And I stayed. Why did I do that? Because for me, it's like the question that was asked went to my heart. This is one person that didn't condemn me for what I had done or the decisions that I had made but actually questioned something about my heart that I had been passionate about and was audacious enough to invite me at that moment. Because everyone else didn't invite me, they condemned me. This man invited me and so I went along. Two months later, in a worship room of 10 people with one guitar, with the lines, I never wanna go back to my old life. I made a decision to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. 15 years later, here I am preaching this message to you today. So never underestimate the importance of thinking laterally. Never underestimate the power of asking the simple question, will you come? And so for the friends, they they wanted their friend to be at the feet of Jesus. So they literally went above and beyond the call of duty and made a hole in the roof. They didn't care if they looked foolish. They didn't care what they looked like to the crowd, but ultimately they chose faith over fear. And so like these friends, as we step out in faith to reach the lost, our priority needs to be to position people to encounter Jesus. See, we see this in verse five, that when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus literally saw this mat being lowered. On a side note, Jesus is not afraid or intimidated by good distractions. See, He wasn't like, I'm in the middle of a message, guys. Wait till the end, we'll do the ministry altar call at the end and I'll pray for you. No, no, He stopped everything at that moment. Wait a second. I see what's happening in this moment. And beyond that though, He saw their faith. See, what fascinates me here is that He saw the friends' faith and He responded to their faith, not to the paralysed man. What does that tell us, church? Don't stop praying for your friends. Don't stop praying for your family. Don't stop believing because it's in that faith that you just, what you don't see in the natural, God is doing something supernaturally in someone's heart. Don't stop praying and believing that your friends, your family, your colleagues, whoever it is in your world will come to Jesus because God responds to our faith. You know, we, we hear the story of Centurion very similarly, you know, with one of his servants when he said to Jesus, look, I don't need you to be there in the flesh. I, I'm a man of authority. I know that when you speak the Word, just like me, when I tell one of my soldiers, go, they go, come, they come. I know it's the same for you, Jesus. Just say the words because I know that it's as good as done. That same faith, we get the Holy Spirit in us that can rise that faith to pray those bold prayers to see our friends healed, but more importantly, saved. You know, James 5, 14 to 15. Is any, anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the Name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Prayer fuels power. Our prayers, our actions are not in vain. As we go out there and as we ask people to come along, irrespective of their response, our actions are not in vain. Because Jesus' action was in response to their faith. Miracles are normal. You know, we can see that happen in people's lives. And one of the greatest miracles is seeing someone's heart uh, saved, someone make a decision to follow Jesus. There's no greater miracle than that. So I ask the question, what are we praying for over our friends and family? Who are we praying for in our friends and our family? Who can we bring? Who who, Who can we invite to the feet of Jesus? And it's fascinating because in the Scripture we read that Jesus' response was to forgive the sin first. 
And it's funny because, you know, the religious elite, we, we read in verses six and seven, they were sceptical. They started questioning Jesus. Who does this guy think he is? They question uh, his authority. But let me tell you something. That's the reality of what we face even in this day and age. People will question us. But church, we are not called to justify. We are not called to convince. We are called to represent Jesus. Not to be distracted by the voices that tell us what we can and can't do, but to fill ourselves with the word of truth of what we can do in Jesus' Name. So we have the opportunity to bring others' feet, ignoring the noise around us, carry the one that is broken in our world. And so I come back to the story and I think, you know what, the crowds and, and perhaps the friends were, would have justifiably wondered why Jesus elected to forgive the man's sins and not heal his paralysis. See, I believe the reason this is the case is because the condition of the physical is a matter of life and death, but the condition of the soul has eternal ramifications. Wow. See, Jesus healed the most important thing first, His heart. Jesus saw that His eternity is more important than literally His next steps. See, we read in Matthew 18, uh, 9 to 8, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter a life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown in eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Very graphic. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the lake of fire. See, a healed body will get you a full quality of life, but a healed soul will set you up for eternity. Church, we need to understand the important truth right now that as real as heaven is, as real as heaven is, hell is real as well. For those who don't believe, and right now there are literally hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people dying, going to an eternity in hell because you, because me, at some point decided that we're not capable enough to share Jesus confidently. Jesus didn't come just for the believers, but for all of us. You know, I love the story in Luke 5, 27, 32, that after Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth, follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to this sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Catch this, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Repentance. See, Jesus set foot where others would not dare go. Truth time here, church. We can't expect people to come here if we're not willing to go there. We can't tell them, look, I'm not gonna come and have a coffee with you until you come through these church doors. We need to go there. We need to be there. It doesn't mean we need to be like certain behaviours in that context, but we need to be there. There needs to be a sense of urgency that this is someone's eternity that we're talking about. See, for the friends, they knew that God could heal. It wasn't about them. For the friends, it wasn't about how good they could communicate or, or how confident they could be in sharing. They just knew, hey, Jesus can heal. I know we can't do it. We've, we've tried everything, but if we get Him to Jesus, Jesus will heal. Because they understood like we do today as one of our uh, miracles are normal. They knew that signs and wonders are real. Yeah. But they accompany when we preach. Yeah. We need to preach the Gospel. Uh, you know, Mark 16, 15 to 18. It says for us here, you know, go into all the world and preach. Now I love going to all the world, not just the ones that are credentialed. No, no, Jesus is talking to everyone. Go into all the Word and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. 
But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Again, Jesus is not putting the pressure on you and me to make, to make converts. He's just calling us to preach. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Whatever it takes requires faith. We often wanna see the signs and wonder and yet God is asking, well, have you actually gone and shared what I've done to your, to your heart and your salvation to someone? We need, that, that's the greatest miracle. The rest, you know, they're the cherries on the Sunday. But what good would it be to see someone get healed physically but never make a decision to follow Jesus and we rock up to heaven, we don't see them there. Wow. What good would that be for us, church? Wow. So it requires courage to step out. And when we think about the friends in this story, they understood that there was a high risk, but the reward was worth it. The higher the risk, the higher the reward. So they took that chance. And ultimately, you know, they saw their friend healed, but they saw his sins forgiven. Lives healed, lives transformed. People at the feet of Jesus. You know, I've had the privilege of seeing family and friends that I'd been praying and believing for, for for literally decades, come and encounter Jesus. That one moment in time was worth those 20 years of tears and prayer. And when we think about the society that we're living in right now, in a society that is searching for identity in every single place, we find that there are many that are the spiritual equivalent of this man, paralysed, afraid and abandoned. And yet God has given you, God has given me the greatest gift in Jesus through our salvation. And He has entrusted us to use this gift to lead people to Jesus. Jesus has given us the blueprint here in the Scripture, even in the Luke chapter 5 story, we see that He just went to do life with people. The fact that this miracle took place in a home, Jesus was just doing life with people. You know, it wasn't just a one-off service. He was just in someone's home having fellowship and then again, God ministered. So you know what? Sundays are very important, but so is Monday to Saturday church doing life with people, seeing the soul behind the need, building relationship, trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you, to lead you, to give you the gifts of prophecy to speak life, to give you the bold faith, the gift of faith to see your friends and family saved. It's an assurance that Jesus gave us in Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Again, it's not a select few. All of us have this opportunity. Those that believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour have access to this. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in Perth and in Hobart and in Bangkok and in East and in South and in West and to the ends of the earth. And so my final point is the application of what evangelism looks like. It doesn't need to be scary. Or it doesn't need to be like the video that Pastor Cherie talked about, like the donkey just chasing everyone. It doesn't need to be the person following people. Do you believe in Jesus? Going to hell, going to hell, going to hell. It doesn't need to be that. The friends here in Mark 2 paint the picture of what evangelism looks like. Let's unpack it. First of all, they told their friend that Jesus could heal. They carried Him when He couldn't move. They had faith to believe even when He didn't. They brought Him to the feet of Jesus He was saved, Jesus got the praise, Jesus got the worship. So what does that look like in our lives? Well, first of all, church, let's not be afraid of the crowd. Don't be afraid of the crowd. It starts in your own walk with God. Who does God say you are? What does the gift of salvation mean to you? What's your story? There is such a power in your story. What is your story? Let's not be afraid of the crowd in that. 
You know, they may uh, question things that have happened in our testimony, but you can't deny the power of God in your life. If you've had an authentic touch from heaven in your life, you cannot deny that it's God in your life. So first of all, let's not be afraid of the crowd. Let's remember we are in this together. It's not just a team that do a brilliant job every week in putting services together, but it's the whole body of Christ coming together. Let's look to carry people together. Let's continue to pray and intercede for our loved ones together. Great opportunity, Monday through Saturday across our locations, we have that hour of prayer. We have our prayer power service on a Wednesday night, prayer and healing on a Sunday. These are not just events, they're actually opportunities for us to come together and intercede on behalf of our communities and families. But closer to home, we can reach out to someone. Who is one person in your world? See, some are grace to go and, and, and get on steps and preach. There are many that are grace for that. But I believe all of us are grace to reach one person in our world. In this season where we can't go out, or I think now you can with one person, but reach out to someone, send them a message, let them know you're thinking about them. Invite them out for a coffee. And when you go out there, ask questions, get to know them. Get to know them. Reserve judgment. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, we're gonna hear like the people, it's, it's, it's a newsflash. The reality is that people that are far away from God, they live a lifestyle, yeah, that's not things that we agree with, but it's not our place to judge them in that moment. They, they don't understand the fullness of God yet if they haven't encountered Him yet. So let's, let's paint the picture of who God is. A loving God that sent His Son to die for them because He deemed them worthy enough of that sacrifice. So let's reserve judgment. This is one of my favourite. Offer to pay, then offer to pray. Love gives generously. Demonstrate that in your your sphere of influence. Invite them to church. Hey, you know what? They might just say no, but don't you say they're no for them. Invite them along. See God move and don't give up. So wherever you are, we're just gonna pray. And and I'm, I'm gonna pray first for the church and we're gonna have a bit of time of worship. And then I wanna pray for those that perhaps haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. But wherever you are right now, I just want to invite you to be upstanding and just to stretch out your hands right now. And Lord, I just pray right now, God, that there will be an urgency in our hearts, Father, that there will be an urgency and desire in our hearts, Father, to reach out to someone in our world, God. That like these friends, Father, we don't know their names, but that's not the point of this story, God. I just thank You, God, that in that moment where they could have just said, not my problem, they made it their problem. They did everything that they could to bring their friend to the feet of You, Jesus. And You brought him salvation and healing, God. So Lord, I pray that as the weeks come closer for us, coming back together, that we will not wait until services are official again to start doing this, Father but that we will see momentum and revival start to come in our communities right now, Father. That we will have the gift of faith to simply just tell someone, God loves you, God bless you. Wherever it is that we go, Father, I pray against the spirit of apathy, Father. May we have that urgency, Father, right now that there are people literally dying and facing a prospect of hell because we're too scared to share Jesus confidently, Father. Let us have that urgency to do whatever it takes, Father. And let us start with the little that we have, Father, because You can take not much and do plenty. 
But with nothing, nothing can be done, Father. So I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that we have in our hearts, Father, whatever gifting that we have, wherever You have positioned us divinely, Father, may we look at that as an opportunity to bring You into our workplaces, to bring You into our schools, to bring You into our government, to bring You into our families, Father. May we make a declaration, not on my watch we will see someone paralysed and do nothing about it, Father. May we be bold and may we see You come and move in our generation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's spend the next few Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.